This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, March 27, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In this short podcast, we're going to talk about something called Eminatize the Eschaton, with a question mark behind it. But first, a couple of announcements. This one comes to you from the League of Women Voters. Many of you have municipal elections. Here in Missouri, we have municipal elections on April 5. So before you go to the voting booth, be sure that you're an informed voter. Go to vote411.org to see a nonpartisan guide about the candidates and issues that you'll see on your ballot. Make a plan to go to the polls in your municipal elections, or vote absentee if you're not able to get to the polls on Election Day. Election questions? Contact the League of Women Voters or go to vote411.org. That's vote411.org. And here's an announcement from Move to Amend. Let me ask you this. Should corporations have the same rights as people? Should money spent on elections equal free speech and drown out the political voices of people who don't have lots of money? Well, the Supreme Court thinks so, but the overwhelming majority of people don't. Join Greg Coleridge, the national co-director of Move to Amend. Move to Amend is a coalition organizing to pass a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. Find out how to become part of this movement and create a real democracy, not just for we the people, but for all the people. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. That's all one word, movetoamend.org. The title of this podcast is presented as a question. The question is this, should we immunitize the eschaton? Now, if I've piqued your interest with a couple of words that you don't hear very often, if at all, then join the club. I ran across this expression when reading an article penned by Josh Hawley about 10 years ago, back when he was an associate professor of law at the University of Missouri Law School. Now, since that time, Hawley became the Missouri Attorney General and then springboarded within a few years to the U.S. Senate. No doubt his ambition is to secure the highest office in the land. Assuming he doesn't get knocked off his perch by a January 6 investigation, he may well achieve that goal. So I believe it is urgent that we have a look at Josh Hawley, the man, and try to understand his motivations and intent. So what does eminitize the eschaton really mean? To eminitize is to make something imminent, to bring about some event, to make it happen. Eschaton refers to the end of days, the final event in the divine plan for mankind. Think of the book of Revelations in the Bible. To immunitize the eschaton means to hasten our journey toward the end of days. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean doom and gloom Armageddon. On the contrary, it is meant to describe a sort of transition into utopia, a heaven of sorts. It's the reunion of mankind with the divine. I'll explain a bit more about Josh Hawley's article in a moment, but first I'd like to explain where he obtained the term immunitize the eschaton and why I find this topic extremely important. Now, if you were around in the early 1960s, you may recall that William Buckley coined the phrase, don't immunitize the eschaton. It was used by a conservative organization known as the Young Americans for Freedom. 
They even had political buttons made up with that phrase. And it's been used off and on since then by true conservatives who were and continue to be concerned with the Christian religious takeover of our government for the purpose of establishing a utopia on earth, or technically the eschaton. Well, why the concern? Well, back in those days, we had emerged from a world war where powers of freedom wrestled with the forces of fascism and extremism. The motivation behind these fascist and extremist forces were idealistic. The promise of the Third Reich, for example, was a thousand years of peace, an eschaton. In these fascist and extremist regimes, politics not only contorts itself to serve religious motivations, but it actually becomes religion. And the problem with religion is that it requires you to suspend rational and logical thought in favor of a belief based on feelings. Belief is more important than truth. And the belief in the eschaton overpowers rational political thought. Now, faced with this concern, William Buckley concluded that we should avoid the eschaton because it did not provide heaven on earth. Recent history demonstrated that it did quite the opposite. I think his concerns were well-founded. After all, what is the definition of utopia? One man's utopia may be another man's hell. There's no unambiguous absolute definition. So an implementation of utopia, the eschaton, can only be realized if it conforms to the opinion of one man or a small group of men. For everyone else, it could be hell. Although he popularized the expression, don't immunitize the eschaton, William Buckley did not invent it. He found this expression in the writings of a German political scientist and philosopher, Erich Vogelin. Vogelin was born in Cologne, Germany in 1901, but moved with his family to Vienna, Austria when he was still a boy. He was raised in Vienna and eventually studied at the University of Vienna, majoring in political science. After he earned his advanced degree, he began teaching classes on political theory and sociology at the university. When Nazi Germany annexed Austria in 1938, Vogelin was dismissed from the university because he'd become a vocal critic of the Nazis. Reportedly, he narrowly escaped the Gestapo and ended up in the United States, where he took a job teaching at Louisiana State University's Department of Government. Long story short, he wrote a number of politically charged books and papers. Though most of his writing was academically dense and lofty, he stood as a sort of vanguard against what he considered an illogical tendency to implement utopia on Earth. He had first-hand experience in the violence and chaos resulting from such endeavors. As I mentioned previously, the eschaton doesn't mean widespread destruction of civilization. It actually refers to the implementation of a system of government that creates a utopian existence on Earth. In Josh Hawley's article, the one he wrote about 10 years ago, this sense is fortified by the belief that Jesus, as the Messiah, opened up a new path for mankind, a path that produces conditions on Earth that echo the intent of God for mankind, a path toward the eschaton. Here's a quote from Josh Hawley's article, quote, The New Testament teaches that this long-looked-for kingdom has dawned now in the death and resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Christ has become king and, as Scripture says, presently rules over the world and over earthly government. That last point is central. Scripture teaches that political government is mandated by God for his service and is one means by which the enthroned Christ carries out his rule. End quote. In the article, the words over-earthly government were italicized for emphasis. It is what Josh Hawley uses to justify doing just the opposite of the conservative thinking that emerged after the Second World War. He poses the question directly in his article by asking, 
Isn't immunitizing the eschaton precisely what Christian citizens should be doing? It's interesting that Hawley started his article talking about Eric Vogelin and William Buckley, and he acknowledged that they warned, don't immunitize the eschaton. He fails to go into any detail about this phrase, however, conveniently skipping over the fact that Eric Vogelin actually lived through the chaos caused by the Nazis' attempt to establish a utopia. Rather, he immediately pivots toward immunitizing the eschaton, and he justifies that pivot by citing the loss of Christian values in our nation over the past three decades. For example, the Supreme Court's banishment of prayer from public schools and religious symbols from public places, Roe v. Wade, the skyrocketing divorce rate, and the rise of the single-parent family. In Hawley's view, the United States is crumbling under the weight of its own amoral behavior, so it's time to immunitize the eschaton. But wouldn't immunitizing the eschaton put our Constitution at risk? Well, not to worry, according to Hawley. He said that we shouldn't abandon the constitutional government in favor of theology. He cites Romans 13 to say that God's mandates for state and church are distinctly different, which in his opinion is perfectly consistent with the Constitution. But is that really true? What does Romans 13 have to say about this? Well, the title of Romans 13 pretty much says it all. Submission to governing authorities. That's pretty scary stuff, isn't it? In the first paragraph of Romans 13, it reads as follows, quote, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. End quote. It's difficult to square Josh Hawley's words about not abolishing the Constitution when, in the same article, he cites Romans 13 as a justification for government rule. Consider, for example, the First Amendment to our Constitution, which reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people to peacefully assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So, how does one petition the government for a redress of grievances without rebelling against authority? I just don't see how you can square that circle. So back to Josh Hawley's words, quote, Government serves Christ's kingdom rule. This is its purpose. And Christians' purpose in politics should be to advance the kingdom of God, to make it more real, more tangible, more present, or should I say, to immunitize the eschaton. End quote. So does Josh Hawley put his actions where his words are? Yeah, perhaps. In the article, he writes about everyone having free access to courts of law and equal treatment by the law's provisions. He even devotes sentences to providing for the poor, the weak, the marginalized, the widow, the orphan, the destitute. He talks about protecting workers from exploitation. He also talks about the importance of education for everyone. And he calls upon women to act as women and not try to act as men in order to gain equal footing in society. 
Josh Hawley advocates for a system whereby you play by the rules and you don't challenge authority. And that being the case, you will have nothing to fear from the authorities. And authority, as described in Romans 13, is bestowed upon a chosen few by God himself. Essentially, a ruling class would have the authority, and the ruled class dare not challenge that authority or even complain about it. It kind of sounds like a guidebook for citizens living under the authority of Nazi Germany, doesn't it? So here's the thing. Democracies don't thrive when people are not allowed to challenge authority. Our own Revolutionary War was inspired by people who no longer wanted to live under the authority of King George, even though the king's authority supposedly was ordained by God. It was never in our DNA to be submissive, and the United States wouldn't be the United States if we were to begin acting that way. In short, what Josh Hawley describes is a sort of utopia that could possibly exist if everyone would just shut up and enjoy the fruits bestowed upon them by the grace of their elitist masters. After all, it's what God wants, right? Clearly, Josh Hawley puts himself in the class of people that would have that authority from God. As such, I can see why he challenged the results of the 2020 election, because in his mind, he saw not only himself, but President Trump as rightful heirs to authority ordained by God. In a democracy, we the people choose who takes the reins of power. But in an eschatonic government, the voice of the people is treated as a challenge to rightful and godly authority, and the sword is reserved for anyone who dares challenge that authority. It's been 10 years since Josh Hawley penned that article. Is it possible he could have changed his opinion? Well, yeah, a lot has happened in the past 10 years, and he may have changed his mind, but at the time he began his political career, he advocated for a system of government ruled by an elite class of people who were ordained by God and therefore above any challenges to their authority. I ask you, what could be more un-American? In the cautionary words of William Buckley and Eric Vogelin, don't eminitize the eschaton. We've linked to Josh Hawley's article in the show's description. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again next week. <music>